Patrick and Cyprian speak with Alan Grau, Vice President of Business Development at PQ Shield. Among other topics, the team discuss emerging standards, the impact of quantum computing on cryptography, and how the security industry is adapting to future threats from quantum computers. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hello, Cyprian. Hey, Patrick. Are you ready for another episode of Entangled Things? Absolutely. And this one is promising to be a great one. It, it is, actually. So I've been looking forward to talking to Alan. So, Alan, can you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Yeah, Patrick. So I'm Alan Grau. I'm the Vice President of Business Development at PQ Shield. And just a little bit about my background, I've been in embedded security and IoT security for, well, longer than I probably care to admit, starting back in the early 90s at Alcatel, or at, at the time, AT&T Bell Labs, which uh, later became Alcatel Lucent and, and now part of Nokia. But from there, spent most of my career in an IoT startup um, where we were developing security solutions on the software side for embedded devices uh, before the IoT was a thing. Um, and then moved into IoT when uh, IoT really started to take off. And um, spent a couple of years at Sectigo, a one of the certificate authority companies. And that's where I really first started to get into the uh, quantum cryptography space, the post-quantum cryptography space, and, and started to look at this. And then this year in August, or I guess last year now in August, joined PQ Shield a startup out of the UK, a spin out from Oxford University that's focused completely on building security solutions for the the quantum world and specifically post-quantum crypto algorithms and, you know, implementations of those. That's very timely. That's exactly what we, this world needs right now, I believe. Uh, how is um, how has the uptake been for PQ Shield? Well, it's, it's really been good. Um, we, we've had a lot of big news recently. We just announced our Series A funding round, which really sets us up to... Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that, that really sets us up for the growth that, that we're seeing from customers. Uh, we are starting to see strong demand from you know from early adopters on this technology. And, um, and obviously, we can talk a lot about you know, kind of what's driving that and what the specific you know, requirements and concerns are that's, that are driving people to start building these solutions into their products. That's actually quite reassuring because the 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 concern is that um, it's really time to start. It, it is really time to start worrying about this. So so let's let's set the stage a little bit. Um, you and I are both from the same you know areas, security, uh, quantum. We've mentioned it many times on the show. Cyprian and I have had you know entire shows on Shor's algorithm. Public private key encryption is as it's as it's currently defined, as it's currently implemented in the world is under threat by quantum computing as it evolves. And we can argue whether it's 5, 15, 25 years away, but it's definitely coming. And I believe it's coming sooner rather than later. That's probably a different conversation. So the fact that there are already organizations taking measures to implement not quantum implementations, not QKD, not quantum key distribution, but actual just new updated encryption. And that's where you're specialized, if, I, if I'm correct. Is that is that true? Yep. No, that's absolutely correct. So 
Yeah, if you, you started to talk about organizations addressing this problem, and really the leader in that is NIST, the National Institute of Science and Technology in the U.S. So they started a process back in about 2015 to is when they really first kicked it off um, near the process of defining new algorithms. And as you said, you know, most experts are now predicting that, you know, by the end of this decade or, or 10 years from now, that we will have quantum computers capable of breaking RSA and ECC encryption. And, and we should talk a little bit about what that means as we go along. But, you know, so if we're eight to 10 years out, give or take, then you know, that seems like a long time, but but it really isn't. So so NIST has been working on you know creating new algorithms. And the in post-quantum cryptography is, as you said, it's new cryptographic algorithms that run on traditional computers, but utilize different mathematics in the cryptography underneath that using mathematics that can't easily be broken by quantum computers. You know, as you said, Shor's algorithm allows you to break RSA and the you know, the math underneath um, elliptic curve encryption can also be broken um, using similar techniques. And, and again, that's probably a whole podcast in itself if you really wanted to it dive certainly into is. it. Um, but if, if those algorithms are broken, you know, later this decade, well, we don't want to replace all our infrastructure, right? We want new algorithms that we can more or less drop in to our existing communication protocols our existing security systems, our existing you know, signature creation validation solutions um, on existing hardware. And that's what post-quantum cryptography is all about. Different mathematical approaches that um, can't be broken by quantum computers. And, you know, really it comes down to, and I'm sure you guys have, I know you've covered this already on the podcast, but at the core, quantum computers are really, really good at certain problems but they're actually quite weak at others. So they're not just universal supercomputers that are much, much faster. Um, They're really great at certain problems, and and some of those problems are really important. But post-quantum crypto is about finding mathematical problems that are not easily solved by quantum computers, but can be computed on traditional computers. And so NIST has been leading that effort. So so you bring up NIST and and their... Um, if I'm correct, they, at, as of this time, they have, um, is it five or seven encryption finalists, including NTRU, which is lattice-based, another lattice-based, and other other schemes. Um, when do you think, are they going to pick a final single winner in each category for signing and for encryption? Or will they provide, you know, all of those will be, you know, maybe all of them, then maybe there'll be a half a dozen different finalists that they say, yeah, you should use this or this. Do, do you believe they're going to pick a single winner like they did with AES? I don't believe they will. So, in, and there's actually a little bit more detail behind that, that um, most people aren't aware of yet is that there actually are two algorithms that have been standardized already. So there's um, LMS and XMSS that have been standardized that are digital signature algorithms that work well for things like code signing and code validation use cases. Um, So, and and I guess let me back up one half a step. With post-quantum crypto algorithms, with the different mathematics, um, not all algorithms are well-suited for all use cases. So some algorithms are well-suited for for signing 
in code signing, code validation use cases, or for a PKI root certificate, uh, but may not be well suited for an IoT use case or for use as a key exchange mechanism for TLS. So, so because not all algorithms are as flexible, perhaps as RSA or ECC, and can be used for a broad set of use cases, we will see multiple algorithms being selected for different use cases. So we do have algorithms standardized for um, code signing use cases and other similar use cases. And then NIST has, it's either seven or eight finalists. There's 15 total around three algorithms, um, seven finalists, eight alternates, or, or I may have that backwards, maybe flopped. Um, yeah. And the the guidance that NIST has said is that, you know, basically any day now we're expecting to see a announcement on the winners of the round three finalists. And we're expecting to see at least one digital signature algorithm, possibly two, um, and at least one key exchange mechanism, possibly two, because they've said they'll, they'll standardize at most one algorithm of each approach. So the ex- expectation is there'll be one lattice-based algorithm for digital signatures, one lattice-based algorithms for chems, and then an, probably, a, or at least possibly, a second algorithm of each type that's not using lattice-based mathematical approaches. Yeah. So, but then Put all of our eggs in one basket. Well, and 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 also certain things that are better for different use cases. But then there's the alternate yeah. algorithms, which we're expecting will some of those will also be standardized at some later point. So it's, there will be the initial um, standardized algorithms, but then there will probably be another round or two where more algorithms are also standardized and added to the bucket. And, and, and just for clarity, we're talking about asymmetric encryption, not symmetric encryption. This is what they're, this is what NIST is challenging. They're talking about ways to replace RSA, Diffie-Hellman, elliptical curve. Those yeah, so basically any place key. where you're exactly you're using a public key encryption. So you know, RSA and ECC, which then underneath Diffie Hellman key exchange um you know utilizes those techniques. The and this gets back to the statement I made a minute ago that you know quantum computers aren't just great supercomputers, they're not they're weak at certain problems. So they they really don't impact AES or hashing algorithms in the same way. So AES um, is still very strong in the face of quantum computers. Quantum computers, you know, don't really do a lot to, to reduce the security of AES. I'll make one small caveat on that. It is that it does impact it a little bit. Um, It it cuts the key length in half. So if you're using AES 128, In a post-quantum world, that becomes the equivalent of AES-64, which then starts to be a weaker algorithm. So That's what I was people should be migrating to AES-256, um, which is is going to be strong in a post-quantum world. Yeah, the way, the way I like to think about it and, and tell people about it is um, symmetric key encryption is half as strong under in a quantum world, which if it goes from 10,000 years to break it to 5,000, I'll take it. Um, but but public private key encryption asymmetric is really under threat. If we had a a million qubit stable quantum computer tomorrow, um, nothing would be safe. Right, exactly. And which then begs the question of, you know, well, why don't we just use AES for everything? And you know, that's something that um, 
at the surface, you know, is a, is a reasonable question. But the way AES is used, it's a symmetric algorithm. And, you know, encryption experts will know this, but, you know, if you really haven't studied encryption, you know, it, AES is very fast, it's very efficient, it's very secure. But if we're going to communicate over AES, we have to share a key. So if, if I'm going to send you a Ahead secret message, I have to send you the key. Well, how do I send you that key securely? Well, we need some out-of-band method or some other method. Well, if we have the method of sending that securely, then, you know, why do we not use that all the time, right? So the with AES, you have exactly. the, what's called the key distribution problem. I need to securely get you the key. So you've got this chicken and egg problem. And public key encryption was invented to solve that problem. And without getting into the weeds on how public key encryption works, with public key encryption, you have a key pair. So instead of having a single key to encrypt things, you have a, a key to encrypt and a key to decrypt. And one's called the private key and one's called the secret key. And I keep my secret key secret and I share my public key. So now if I want to send you a secret message, I can get your public key, which you share publicly or with anyone who wants it, use that to encrypt the message, send it to you, and then you can decrypt it with your private key. And I know that nobody else can decrypt it besides you because only you have the private key, you know, assuming, of course, you keep it keep exactly. it secure. And so that's how public-private key encryption works and how they fit together. Right. So you guys are the – PQ Shield, you and your organization, are the only ones I know of, um, and maybe it's just my limited – knowledge or, or maybe you guys are just on the cutting edge that are actually implementing this solution where you're taking post cryptography systems and implementing them in real solutions is there a do you have a preference towards lattice do you are you an equal opportunity um you know algorithm user um do you find there's a predilection for some you, you said before there's going to be some some of the the post quantum cryptography solutions are going to be better suited to each different scenario, whereas we don't have a one size fits all like we kind of did with RSA. What's your feeling of that? Is is lattice something we're going to hear more about? It's something that I've been looking into more, or are some of the more quixotic um, technologies something that we should be paying attention to as well? Well, there was a there's a lot to unpack in that. There's a, about three questions, so yeah. I'll. Uh, ramble a bit and, and see if I can get to the end point. But so to start with, you know, we aren't really the only company in this space. You know, we do have a very strong team and I think we've got a, a very unique value proposition. I do believe we're the only company that has both hardware and software implementations of all of the NIST round three algorithms. So that does make us unique. And part of that is, you know, the team that we've got, we've, you know, post quantum crypto is a very specialized space. You know, it's a new new technology. People are researching it. You know, but there's really you know maybe 25 people in academia or outside of academia, you know, in industry that have strong expertise on post quantum crypto, and we've got about 13 of those on staff. So we've got you know a strong collection of cryptographers of PhDs who deeply understand post quantum crypto, and we've been very involved in the NIST process since the very early days. You know, we've evaluated each of the algorithms. We've got members of our team, our co-authors on two of the algorithms. Uh, we've got advisors who are co-authors on four or five more of the algorithms. And so um, in terms of, of favorites, well, you know, in, in some sense, you know, the algorithms that you know our team has co-authored, you know, everybody has their, their personal favorites. But, 
we, you know, our mission as a company is to to support what the industry requires. So we, you know, we will provide support for you know the algorithms that NIST chooses. But there will be ones outside of that that will probably will support. You know, there are use cases where you know some of the algorithms that may not be chosen as standards might be better suited um, for certain use cases, and we can still support those. Amazing. So. I mean, I know that Arthur Eckhart is one of your advisors. You have an amazing list of people behind you. Um, I did want to ask Cyprian a question, and that is, um, Cyprian, I know you know that NIST is coming out with all these standards for post-quantum cryptography. Is is Europe, you're, you're based in Romania, is Europe going to look to NIST for that guidance, or do you guys in Europe have your own body that's going to look at it independently? I, I guess I... I've always assumed that the world kind of follows NIST's guidance because of AES and, and some of the past encryptions. But is there a competing standards body over in Europe? It, it, this kind it of depends thing? a lot, Patrick. It's not, it's not entirely clear. We have other uh, precedents, right? If you look at, for example, GDPR, uh, that's where the, the European Commission has a radically different stamp than the rest of the of the world. Well, you're leading the way in that. Regard, when when yes. it comes, yeah, when it comes to to quantum, I think unfortunately, and now the European speaks out of me, right? We are uh, a few steps back uh, from what is happening mostly in the U.S. and then in the in the Asian space. So it's very hard to 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 say right now. Uh, it all also depends on. Uh, what will the next European Commission kind of uh, focus on? Because we, by the time this will become, uh, let's say, ripe for implementation and for, for full standardization, we'll probably have a completely different European Commission than the one that we have today in, in place. So it's, it's, for me, it's an, it's an unknown. And it also, it hurts to say, but we have to say it, right? Um, I don't think Europe takes uh, uh, seriously enough at this point in time the whole problem of, of, of quantum. There are there's a lot of research and there are a lot of of, of uh, academia uh, 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 academic teams and and even companies involved in it. But overall, I think quantum in kind of uh, as a uh, an entire set of, of of standards and technologies and research areas does not get yet the, the desired uh, attention uh, from the regulators uh, in, in Europe. Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess the next logical question then for Alan would be, when do you think NIST is going to come out? And, and, and in full disclosure, this is a bit of a pre-recorded show. We're still, um, if you make a prediction that it's not for another month and it comes out in April, you, you're probably right, even though it won't sound that way. So given that we're a little pre-recorded by a month or so, when do you think NIST is going to come out with their final recommendations? Or, or is that so, a guessing game so we I think, shouldn't employ? Yeah, so I think what we should do is the day before this comes out, I'll come back and we'll re-record my prediction so we get it right. <laughs> um, but the um, I, in December, I was predicting they would do it in December. And so in January, I was predicting January. So the, the indications we've gotten, and again, our team is very involved in the NIST process, so they talked, you know, we talked to those guys quite a bit, is very, soon. very soon. Yeah. And the other data point is the White House two weeks ago, perhaps. So in, um, in late January, issued a memo around post-quantum cryptography. And it requires, you know, companies and government agencies and companies building national security systems 
to have a plan. Well, there's there's several different pieces to it, but you kind of the core takeaway is within 180 days, they have to at least have a plan in place and identified how they're going to begin migrating saw that. their systems to post-quantum crypto. And I, it made my day. Yeah, and it made us all very busy um, <laughs> you know, because companies are now scrambling to make sure that they've got plans in place. But implied in that is that you know they have to have um, algorithms, you know, plans to, to transition to algorithms that are approved by the NSA. And the and NSA has said which algorithms they which which mathematical approaches, which families they like. They like lattice space for certain things and so on. And so it's kind of implied that the NIST announcement has got to be coming soon to support that time frame. And so the you know the assumption that I'm making and that we're making is that you know the the NIST has pre-shared their selection with some of those critical stakeholders within you know, the, the U S government. And so, so again, I, I think it's going to be very soon. I had expected it to happen. Or maybe the know, NSA just, December, early January. So maybe the NSA just hacked them and stole it. You never know, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the, and the NSA is, is also, you know, been, you know, looked very hard at post quantum crypto and how they think it impacts things. And, you know, they do have their own recommendations um, not specifically around algorithms, although they've made preferences around uh, which mathematical approaches, but they've also made statements around you know use of post quantum crypto over QKD for certain things. Um, they you know they talk about how to, you know the importance of randomness, but that classical random number generation solutions uh, are sufficient and appropriate for post quantum crypto. Um, you know there are use there there is a value in quantum random number generation and there are places where it will no doubt be used but you can implement post quantum crypto using classical random number generation so there are there are some nuances there um that the nsa talks about and there's one statement that they made we talked in the beginning about the time frame you know will it be eight years or 10 years or 12 years or, or how long will it be before quantum computers can break these encryption algorithms and the NSA has said it'll take about 20 years to implement, to, to migrate all of the national security systems to post-quantum crypto across the board. Now, obviously, many of those will happen much more quickly, but it does show just how massive an, of an undertaking it is. Yeah. So th- this is a numbers that I've, I've shared before. Um, in 2015, there was a study, a paper that said that you needed 20, uh, to a billion physical bits, qubits, to break RSA 2048. And that was based on the error correction of the day and, and you know, how, how, how many physical qubits you needed before you got to a logical qubit. And then five, in, uh, four years later, in 2019, a paper came out and said, no, you can do it with 20 million. And so that number seems to be coming down as we get better with error correction. And at the same time, IBM is releasing more and more Big, more and more qubits on their chips. And so I sound like a broken record because I've said this before. I think that 2030 is going to be the breaking point or right around the, the new decade. And so we're we're behind the eight ball already. If it's going to take 20 years um, to get everybody in the in the in the US federal government there and and industry lags behind that. Industry doesn't typically get ahead of the cart, a whole section of industries. And so this is becoming far more urgent, even though we're talking about 10 years in the future or eight years in the future. 
Well, and that brings up another interesting point, and that's the question. It's kind of a two parts to it: is what does it mean to break RSA and ECC? And, and part of that is what people are referring to as the store now decrypt later attacks. Mm-hmm. So there are without question adversaries who are already in, intercepting communications, stealing information, sticking it away on some massive hard drive with the intent of breaking that whenever they can. And you know, if you've got information that needs to be kept secure for 30 years, you know, that information is already at risk. And then you know, when we talk about breaking up these encryption algorithms, we're not necessarily, in fact, we're really not talking about real-time decoding of a TLS session. I mean, someday it will probably get there. But if, you know, if, a, if someone can record a TLS session to figure out what the private key, what the public key is, throw a quantum computer at it to try to break it. And if that takes three months to break that and dis- discover the information that was transmitted, in some cases that could be very damaging. You know, so when you say, can a, can a quantum computer break RSA or can it break ECC? Yeah. Well, how fast can do it? Can it do it? And and how important that is that? And that obviously depends upon the information. Yeah. You know, if it's my if they record my login to my personal banking session, well, hopefully in eight years I've changed the password. Right. <laughs> and 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 what they discover there won't still be valuable. Yeah. But other information that needs to be secure for decades, you know, could be vulnerable if it would be vulnerable if it's stored yeah. today. The analogy I always use when I talk about encryption is if I'm encrypting where I'm shooting artillery rounds, I only need it to be secure for a minute because by that time the rounds have landed and everybody knows where they were going. Um, if I if I want to encrypt with a location of missile silos, those don't move. So 30 years from now, I want that encryption to still be secure. And so it's that latter scenario that we need to really worry about, as you say. Yeah. And if someone has a quantum computer that takes three months to crack that specific piece of information, that may be good enough. And that's going to be far fewer qubits than it takes for to crack a key in an hour. Yeah, th- this is one. Of, yeah, this is one of the areas where we we see a lot of confusion, right? People are almost always assuming what does it take for a quantum computer to break in real time stuff, right? But uh, I think the store now decryptor is much much more dangerous. And one of the questions that I would have here is. What are some of the things that 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 folks can do today to uh, uh, protect themselves against uh, these 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 things? Is there really anything that you can you can do, uh, or this is going to be a a uh, let's say big risk moving on from now? Well, I think both are true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, both it will be a big risk, uh-huh. but there are things that that people can do. I mean, you know if and it, it falls into a couple of different categories. If you're an enterprise, if you're a large bank or financial institution, um, a user of technology, you know, you should be putting together a roadmap. You should probably be looking at a discovery tool to be able to understand what systems you have, what cryptos used, and start putting together a roadmap to migrate those. But the early adopters of this technology, the people that we're helping out today, are the companies that are building crypto systems, that are building hardware and software systems that do encryption, whether it's a PKI system or an HSM, a military radio that's encrypting transmissions, um, you know, the, the semiconductor companies that are building computer chips that do encryption. 
So you, those companies are already starting to look at how do we build our next generation systems with post-quantum crypto in them? How do we upgrade the firmware or the software in our systems to start doing post-quantum encryption um, in those today? So there are things that companies can can be doing now to get started. And, and there are companies that are getting started on these things. I wonder and if... So, I'm sorry. I wonder, you make me... Cyprian's question and your answer have just crystallized something for me. So if I'm in a situation where, you know, I've got information out there, that information could be stored and decrypted later, and I don't want the adversary to know that they've gotten my information, maybe this is the time that honeypots really are the thing. Maybe I should be putting out alternate versions of the truth so that that gets stored and therefore it's a shell game. They don't know which is the real value. So let's say set missile silo information. If I have a mapping of where all of our missile silos are, um, maybe I should put out 20 copies of that. And I know which one's the real one. I know which one's the, 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 the correct one, but they, when they get to the point where they're decrypting, they don't know which one to believe. And so it's a signal, it becomes a signal to noise challenge for the, for the, um, for the aggressor. And that's something we might be able to do selectively and, and immediately, uh, with critical data. Now, I don't know if that's reasonable for the banks. Maybe, um, maybe it's not reasonable for you to, um, you know, put out fake accounts and, and things like that. But, but that seems to be the only short-term solution because this is not going to be fixed overnight. This is going to take a lot of time. All right. Yeah. So I think develop that. Right. I mean, as I look at this problem, I mean, obviously I've got a very specific focus because of what I do day to day on how do we improve our systems to ensure that we've got countermeasures for these threats, right? How do we, how do we build new systems? Um, You know, but you know, and, and from my point of view or from the point of view of what PQ Shield is doing, it's all about identifying, you know, working with companies that have a near-term need that needed to adopt this quickly so they can get solutions in place more quickly. You know, early, but if you're a na- early users of post of quantum computers for attacking systems are going to be nation states, right? So right. if you're an entity that has nation states in your, your threat matrix, right? And you're, you're, when you're looking at threats, if nation state actors are in play, then you're going to be the first ones attacked and need to be addressing this more quickly. And yeah, so then as you look at that, um, you know, other, you know, data obfuscation techniques, or as you said, you know, providing alternate data and multiple copies of it to help create a signal to noise ratio problem. I mean, certainly things like that could come into play, you know, and then um, it still also comes down to basic security measures. I mean, if you've got strong security in place and they can't break into your systems today to steal the data using existing technologies and existing attack methods, then you have some mitigation. If they, if you can keep them from stealing the data, then then you're protected as well. You know, so that that comes into all the basic security hygiene. You know, providing high levels of security and, and implementing security best practices today to limit the ability of adversaries to steal that data that they could then break later. So I think that this comes down to if you. If you're looking to implement a system that depends on public-private keys or key sharing or asymmetric encryption, however you want to refer to it, 
it would be folly to start with the old school mechanisms. You really should be looking forward to the new mechanisms so that you don't add to the burden of what we have to convert later on. Yeah. And if you look around, right, the kind of the set of use cases for public-private key encryption is almost everything, right? Um, Every TLS session, you use public-private key you use public key encryption, the public private key techniques to establish the session and share the session key. If you look at authentication for, um, you know, you know, key cards, you know, the advanced key cards that are allowing access to a business that's using PKI technology, you know, credit card transactions, you're using the same technology. I mean, it's pervasive in digital signing, you know, all the document signing solutions, all the blockchain solutions, um, you know, it's it's hard to to find a solution where you have strong security implemented that isn't using some sort of public-private key mechanism. So the the scope of the problem is is very very broad, and so it's you know finding having security best practices across the board is critical, and then just understanding what are those critical use cases, what are the you know, what are the most important things that need to be protected for any organization or any product or any system and starting with those and, you know, making sure there's a roadmap and, and starting to, yeah. to move towards crypto agility, you know, the ability to swap crypto without having to swap the entire solution um, and also towards post quantum crypto. It sounds like you're going to be busy in the next decade <laughs> at uh, Pinky Shield. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot to be done, um, but it's, it's exciting. It's it's really interesting. From you know, if I put on just my techno, you know, my for my business hat, it's exciting because there's a lot of opportunities. You know, we've got the White House memo, you know, that's that's causing companies to start to move. That's all great. But if I get away from that and just put on my hat, right? I'm my degrees in back in college a long, long time ago were math and computer science. And so those are really coming together. And the, the technology is really, really interesting. You know, a lot of it's over my head, um, but it, it's really interesting to see the technology. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I find that if you don't think it's over your head, you don't really understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, so I think that's about it for our time. Any, any last parting shots, Cyprian or Alan, that you want to get in there before we, uh, we call it a day? This has been a great episode, in my opinion. No, this was a lot of fun, and I'd be uh, happy to come back and do this again sometime. We, we'll definitely have you on our dance card. Uh, and Cip, uh, Cyprian, anything else you'd like to add, or are we good to go? No, yeah, well, I think we're, we're we're good to go. This is, uh, at the same time, I believe, uh, uh, a little bit worrying, but also super exciting. And I think, uh, as yeah. you said, the next decade, it's going to be a very interesting one in this space. Yeah, And this is a topic we'll we'll probably touch on with some regularity as it gets more and more. I think we'll be forced to do it. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks again, Alan. We'll talk to everybody soon. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.